opinions expressed on ACV Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Missouri Council of the Blind Annual Convention will now come to order. The chair would like to welcome all the members and guests to the MCB Convention. And the online listeners as well. You guys are all welcome and we appreciate you being here. Janitra Perry, will you Please give our invocation. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. afternoon. So I would like to start with a prayer. So if everybody, everybody wants to bow their heads, we will talk to our God right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you this afternoon. We first just thank you for bringing us all together. We thank you for the safe arrival for everyone. And we know this is going to be a wonderful state convention. So we just thank you for this blessing. And Lord, we pray that this will, everything will be done in decent, decency and order. Because we know that you are ahead of everything. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Let every heart in the room say amen and amen. 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 Thank you, Janitra. It was very nice. Presenting the colors for our convention is the University High ROTC. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand as you are able and, and remain standing until the Pledge of Allegiance. Was 
To the flag Here to present our affiliate host welcome is Patrick Patton, President of Agape Council of the Blind. <laughs> okay, I will not start by saying good afternoon. Instead, we're going to go with a good howdy. That's what I'm talking about, you know. Uh, um, I just want to first um, thank our uh, secretary for Agape, Wilma Chestnut, because I gave her grief, and she said, let's do a Western theme. <laughs> St. Louis is home of the blues and jazz. But, you know, once you start getting into Western, baby, <laughs> Know what they say? Once you go western, you never go back. Um, I'm sorry. Hey. Oh, okay. Oh, oh focus, focus. Okay. I, I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm supposed to behave, but I, I do want to seriously say thank each and every one of you for coming out to this year's 66th annual MCB convention. Thank you all. Give yourselves a hand. Yes, ma'am. It is so awesome to be back in person, to be able to see each other with or without mask, touch, hug, and just to say how are you, to, to exchange ideas. This, I am so excited. So I want to give each and every one of you guys a great big thank you for once again making MCB what it is, one of the best, strongest, and forward-thinking members of ACB. I think we are the best, but, you know, <laughs> I'm prejudiced. Um, I also want to uh, extend a huge thank you 
for two people that we all know are one of the key backbones to MCB, and that is Virginia and Nancy. I will be wearing you, Virginia and Nancy, throughout the rest of this conference, so I just want you to know what that applaud was for. Okay, but uh, we do lean on them. I also want to extend a great big thank you to Kay, all the hard work that she's done, the trustee board, uh, and also for MCB. I also want to thank one of the hardest working organizations and affiliates in MCB. I'm a little prejudiced once again. That would be the Agape Council of the Blind. There has been a lot of work that has gone into putting off this convention. Um, and hey, you guys, could you please stand up? Come on, stand up. Even though we can't nobody see you, but hey, I feel you. Let's give them a hand. Thank you guys so much. I know it has been a labor of love and, um, you know, uh, wanting to choke your president. But hey, <laughs> I truly appreciate it. Um, and I just want to say thank you and let you guys know, behind every good man, there is a woman with a large, blunt object, bat, Billy Club, rolling pins from those who are old school, to encourage and support them, <laughs> come what may. But hey, in all seriousness, welcome each and every one of you. This I'm looking forward to this convention. It's already gotten off to a wonderful start with the information. Please, please, please go to the marketplace. These are the people who support us. We want to support them. And there is some phenomenal information at the marketplace. If you don't like it, you don't find anything that you want in the marketplace, come see me and let me know your discontent. And I'll take you back through there so we can go find you something to buy. Okay, thank you guys. Have a great convention. And once again, welcome. Thanks, Patrick, for getting us off on a good start. That's a way to go. And um, Paige Miller is with the Westport Sheridan, and she is here to give us a welcome this afternoon. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, maybe we'll find another time for her to do that. So, please welcome Mr. Kenneth Murdoch, Director, Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion to the St. Louis County Executive Office, who is going to give us a greeting this morning. Actually, it's this afternoon. I'm sorry. It's a long day. Thank you, Kenneth. We really appreciate hearing from you. I'm Kenneth Murdoch. I'm the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for St. Louis County. I'm here speaking on behalf of Dr. Sam Page, the County Executive, and I'd like to thank you for having this event and thank you for having us here today. 
Uh, it's a wonderful event, but St. Louis County's been through a lot as of recently. Uh, I'm very proud of the progress we're making. I want to just make a few points of some progress we're making and then tell you what it's been like to be in government in the recent years. St. Louis County is continuing to use federal fundings to improve the area, and we have new flux of fundings because of different uh, federal programs that have come down. But most importantly, uh, we're building new police stations. We're building a new recreational center. Recently, they are, are we just built a new uh, St. Louis County uh, Police Center and the Greensfield Recreational Center. Now, the Greensfield Recreational Center is a $10 million upgrade to that recreational center, and it's going to be something fabulous in the future. It will have more ice arena, more drop-off area, uh, more places for you and your family to have interactions, and more places for kids to safely play. Uh, this is one of our expansions we've been thinking about for a long time. And finally, Dr. Page kind of got the football uh, into the end zone with this. Uh, we were able to get some money appropriated, and we're going to expand the community center because we learned something very important during COVID. And so let me talk to you a little bit about my experience in county government. We learned something very important during COVID, and that is simply this. Community spaces are important spaces. During COVID, if you remember the beginning of COVID, we were all kind of scared. We were worried about our loved ones. We were worried about our health. It was a new, challenging way to interact. And what government had to do was adapt and change. All of a sudden, meetings weren't in person. All of a sudden, you had to be very careful about who you interacted with or where the virus could spread. Because if it spread through government, it could have many, many different families. So we had to be, first off the bat, to be kind of ahead with certain procedures like quarantining people or making sure that people didn't come to work, that people wore masks and things like that. And honestly, we got some people upset at us for that because still what should have been just medical has become political. But that's something in the reality that we live in now. So let me tell you, the first time uh, when I started working with government was just before COVID hit. And if you remember, we were already in an epidemic before the pandemic. And we're still in the opioid epidemic right now. And I'm sorry if opioids have touched anyone's family here, but it's a tragedy. And we still fight every day. And under the leadership of Dr. Sam Page, he was one of the first people long time ago in the Missouri, uh, when he was in the Missouri legislature, to really start to understand and address opioids. And that's why when COVID hit, I was so happy to know that the doctor was in, that we had a doctor that understood. Other counties throughout America at time were buying alvumectin or certain chemicals and stuff like that because top down, our federal government leadership at that time was telling us, buy this product, buy this product. But the doctor knew better. The doctor knew to keep the community safe, you had to do some basic CDC-type guideline things, and that's what he did. And that's what helped keep many, many people from getting COVID. And that's what also helped us understand uh, how to adapt and change in COVID. During COVID, meetings started coming over Zoom. They started being more online. But now we've learned something from that, and that is to keep the adaptability that works, but always be ready to adapt in the future. Adaptability is not something government does too well. <laughs> Unfortunately, government can be rather slow at times, but it has to be because it's the group will. But what we found out during COVID is that we don't have to have the same type of uh, slow pace. We can incorporate new federal funds and put them together to work for the people by actually listening to the people. And one of the most important things we did was have opening listening sessions about how do you want to deal with ARPA funding? How do you want to deal with your sores and other things? So I'm coming here today with a simple greetings and a simple message. 
The greeting is, I'm glad you're here. I want and welcome your activism. The message is St. Louis County is listening. And if you live somewhere outside of St. Louis County and they're not listening, look at us and make them listen. The purpose of government is very simple. It's to hear your needs and to cater to your kind of will, to try to make systems and organization to serve every identity, regardless of what individuals in the community might think of that identity. All citizens deserve good service, and that's what we're trying to do right now. But we need your input. That's why I say your activism is welcome. Sometimes groups that are quiet, we don't know what they necessarily need. So this is the year, if any other year, speak up. Tell us your needs. Every Tuesday at County Council, there's an open space for citizens that are citizens of St. Louis County to come speak and say, hey, government, this is what's happening in my community. This is what I need. And let me give you an example of this. Uh, uh, Sam Page, some time ago, some citizens came to St. Louis County Council, and he's the county executive, so he's not a member of county council, but he sits at county council meetings. And they said, hey, you know, we don't like this one barrack. It's named after Robert E. Lee, and we don't really like it. Well, today, that, that barrack that was in our county that was named after Robert Lee Lee is now named the Buffalo Soldiers Pavilion because Sam Page listens, and he heard. And we're proud of the Buffalo Soldiers Pavilion because it means something. So as you tell, incorporate this Western themes, maybe those who really know the story of the Buffalo Soldiers Talk a little about the Western theme to other people about what the Buffalo Soldiers meant to them or what they meant to me because I'm a descendant of one. So let me tell you another part why St. Louis County listens. St. Louis County listens because we found out listening is the best way to serve your needs. And if we, we, we want to hear you in every way we can. As the director of diversity, equity, inclusion, I started hearing from kids in school that sometimes bathrooms were challenging and there was a whole political thing around what identities can use the bathroom. When we started listening and we took the leadership in St. Louis County, we passed a rule that any single-use bathroom will no longer be genderfied. It won't have a male or female on it. It will just be bathroom because a person can walk in there, close and lock the door, and just use the bathroom. This was controversial, but we kind of gave the message to all the school differences, all the school districts and all the people in St. Louis County that St. Louis County wants to be equal and neutral to all people. We're a one county government and we're here to serve you. So with that, I want to say just this. Talk to us. Come to the meetings. Get involved in committees and get involved. Your activism is welcome. Only you can speak for your particular sets of identities. Only you can speak for your group. So speak up. Don't let another political year go by where we haven't heard your voice. Come to county county meetings. Come talk to government. You're always welcome, and thank you very much. My name is Kenny Murdoch, and I'm the director of DEI for St. Louis County. Thank you, Mr. Murdoch. We really appreciate that. I understand you arrived a little early, and... You stuck with us, and so thank you very much for that. Now, next, I have something that I'm going to put into the agenda. What happened was the St. Louis, I'm sorry, St. Charles County Council of the Blind received, a, after some work, received a proclamation from the governor of Missouri, and Chris Dickey is going to read it for us. This proclamation is from the Office of the Governor, State of Missouri, Governor's Proclamation. Whereas 
The white cane is a simple yet effective tool of independence that contributes to the self-sufficiency of individuals who are blind and visually impaired and symbolizes their ability to achieve a full and independent life and their capacity to work productively and competitive in competitive employment. And whereas the white cane is a symbol of dignity and determination, as well as a tangible reminder that individuals with impaired eyesight are able to go, to move, to be, to compete, and to contribute with all others in society and to lead full, independent, and productive lives. And whereas established by the National Federation of the Blind, the annual observance of White Cane Awareness Day emphasizes the need for all Americans to be aware of the presence of persons with disabilities in our communities and work together to keep the streets, highways, sidewalks, walkways, public buildings and facilities, and places of public accommodation, amusement, and resort safe and functional to the disability community. And whereas the 2022 observance of White Cane Awareness Day provides an opportunity for persons across the Show Me State and the nation to renew their dedication to eliminating bar barriers for persons who are blind and visually impaired, and to recognize their value as individuals, employees, and productive members of our communities. Now, therefore, I, Michael L. Parson, Governor of the State of Missouri, do hereby proclaim October 15, 2022, to be White Cane Awareness Day in Missouri, and to encourage all Missourians to show respect for those who carry the white cane, to honor their many achievements, and to reaffirm our commitment to improving access to basic services and opportunities for persons who are blind and visually impaired. In testimony thereof, I have hereunto set my hand and caused to be affixed the great seal of the state of Missouri in the city of Jefferson this 14th day of September 2022, signed by Michael L. Parsons, Governor, and attested by J. Ascroft, Secretary of State. <clears throat> Thanks. Thanks to the St. Charles County Council of the Blind for sharing that with us. That was very nice. So will MCB Secretary Joe Morgan please call the role of affiliates? Agape Council of the Blind. Here. Okay. Allied Workers of the Blind. I'm Brandy Jones. I'm Secretary of Allied Workers for the Blind. We have four members present, myself, Tom Jones, Shirley Brokaw, and Melvin Smith. Blind of Central Missouri. Susan Sanderson, Jay Smith, Joshua Starner, Kevin Alderson, 
Teresa Sanders, Carly Sanders, Joe Dobbs, um, Brian Weekamp, Nick and Sarah Kaysen and Shiana, uh, Annie Bales, Christine Jones, and Patton, Peyton Jones, myself, Linda Gerken, and we have three junior members. Delta Area Blind. Good afternoon. I'm Wanda Matlock, president of Delta Area of the Blind. Um, for those who don't know, we are in southeast Missouri. We have our meetings in Sykeston, Missouri on the fourth Tuesday of each month. Um, we have a total of 17 members, and we have five members here at the convention this year. And um, the five that are here are Craig Ansel. Craig is our um, MCB board representative. Um, Lawana Copeland, who is our treasurer. Belinda Turner, she is our secretary, and this is Belinda's first year at the convention. Mr. Jim Tull, he's our education and advocacy representative. And myself, thank you. Joplin Service Club of the Blind. Yes, I'm Wendell Wilcox. I'm here alone for my first time at the convention. Lake Stockton Area Council. My name is Roger Jewell from Lake Stockton Area Council of the Blind, and we are here with four members, myself, uh, Mike Hopper, Ron, and um, Tiffany Wyatt, and we have 18 members in total. Queen City Council of the Blind? Hello, um, Queen City Council of the Blind um, was not actually defunct, but um, we did bring two members here to convention with us, myself and Deborah Witt. River City Workers of the Blind? River City Workers has four members attending the convention, Sabrina Fowler, Carol Moore, Alicia Smith, and Will Nika Smith. We have three guests, driver and guide, Cece Henderson, driver and guide, Shawnique Moore, and guide, Tyronza Smith. Southeast Missouri United Blind Club. Springfield Service Club of the Blind. Um, Springfield Service Club for the Blind is present. We have 11 members and one junior member. We have uh, seven members here at the um, convention. Myself, Matthew Bailey, our board rep, Stephanie Bailey, um, Larry, and Mary Jane. Um, their daughter is our junior member. Her name is Mary Lynn and Sheila Stevens, as well as Kenny Norton. St. Charles County Council of the Blind. St. Charles County Council of the Blind. We have five members attending and one volunteer. Um, Kim Reese. We have Johanna Jeremiah, Beverly Cascaden, Ann and Carl Tiemann, and our volunteer is Cindy Stacker. St. Louis Council of the Blind. St. Louis Council has 12 members. We brought three to the convention. They would have brought more, but they didn't think I'd be able to remember any more than that. Yeah. Joe and Marlene Morgan and myself, Jack Link. St. Louis Northern Lights. Carl Chapel, uh, president of Northern Lights. We have four members of our uh, of our council here. Bob Selby, the Vice President, Christy Freeman, and Tammy Schnelli. 
Tiger Council of the Blind, United Workers of the Blind. Raymond Bishop with United Workers for the Blind. We have a roster of 38. We have 13 present. Donna Bishop, Raymond Bishop, Debbie Corman, Mark Ditchin, Jeannie Jacob, Bob Jacob, K. Momquest, Anna Shell, Patty Shanlaw, Donna Siren, Carrie Smith, Cheryl Townsend, and Robin Wallen. If I missed any of you, I apologize. I guess that's it. Yeah, that completes the roll, Madam President. All right. So now we're going to backtrack just a little bit. And Paige Miller of the Westport Sheridan is now with us this afternoon to give us a welcome. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sheraton Westport Chalet. We're very happy that you guys are here. And if you need anything, do not hesitate to reach out and ask anyone or anyone passing by. We hope that you guys enjoy your stay, and it's a good weekend for you all. Thank you. I, I want you guys to know that we worked with Paige, uh, we being the convention committee and uh, Jesuita, and this lady has bent over backwards to help us, and we, I, personally, I, I really have enjoyed working with her for sure. So, okay, we'd like to offer a warm welcome to our online listeners and to... A special, any special guests that we have, and of course to our parliamentarian, Chris Dickey. The chair calls on Wilma Chestnut House for a special welcome. Good afternoon, everyone. I would like to give a very special welcome to our members at large, and um, I'll be giving my report later, but that list is really growing. And I would also like to welcome the first-timers. And there were a few select first-timers that we got a chance to uh, pick to come to our convention and enjoy. And our first-timers are Stephanie Burkett, Carla Green, Janitra Perry, Dwayne Ingram, Ashley Law, Tanisha Scalumas, and we have Stephanie Bailey. Welcome, you guys. I hope you enjoy this first convention and come back for the very next ones. Our first item of business is the adoption of the credentials report. Please welcome Susan Sanderson, Credentials Committee Chair. Uh, good afternoon. The following is the report of the Credentials Committee. The voting attendance at this is number is 86 of the MCB members registered at 12 o'clock on October 7th. The number of members registered and entitled to vote is 86. Madam President, I move that this adoption of the credentials report. Is there a second? It has been moved and seconded to the adoption of the credentials report. Is there any discussion? Hearing no discussion, all of those in favor of the credentials, adopting the credentials report, please say aye. 
Anyone opposed, please signify by saying no. The affirmative have it and the credentials report is adopted. Susan Sanderson will now present the proposed standing rules for this convention. President, uh, my voice is failing me and so I'm gonna have the, this, the standing rules read by Brandy Jones. Madam President, the following are the proposed MCB convention standing rules. One, registration. Members and guests shall register and receive identifying badges. The badges shall be required for members to vote. Two, voting. The privilege of presenting motions and voting shall be limited to members of MCB. Guests attend with guests attend without voice or vote unless the assembly grants the right to speak. Three, recognition and debate. A member who wishes to be recognized shall rise, address the chair, and give name. No member shall speak in debate more than twice on the same question, nor longer than two minutes without permission of the assembly. The total debate for each proposed bylaw or amendment shall be limited to 10 minutes unless extended by the assembly. Four, courtesy is required throughout the convention. Should an incident of discourtesy occur at the request of the president, the microphone will be turned off and that member shall be not be recognized again. Microphone runners will retain possession of microphones at all times. Five, vulgarity and swearing, even for the purposes of emphasis, shall not be tolerated. Six, points of clarification are questions, not answers, and may be asked only after a member is recognized by the chair. Seven, smoking. No smoking is per permitted in the assembly room. Eight, cellular phones. Phones must be turned off or put on vibrate during meetings. Nine, alcohol will not be allowed in the general assembly. Madam President, I move the adoption of these rules as just read. Is there a second? It has been moved and seconded to adopt the convention standing rules as, as presented. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, if you are in favor of the convention standing rules, please say aye. If you are opposed to adoption of the standing rules, please say no. The affirmative has it, and the convention standing rules are adopted. Thank you very much. Susan, we appreciate that, and also Brandy as well. The chair asked that Vice President Chip Haley present the agenda. Madam President. I move the adoption of the 2022 program convention agenda. Uh, thank you for the second. It has been moved and seconded that the, to approve the agenda. Is there any discussion? If you are in favor of the agenda, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed, say no. Uh, the agenda has been adopted. Thank you. The next item of business is the approval of the 2021 convention minutes. 
since the 2021 convention minutes have been distributed out, I will not read them. Are there any additions or corrections? There being no uh, corrections to the minutes, are, the minutes are approved as distributed. The next item on the agenda is the President's Report. I am really pleased and excited to be here with you all today. As I mentioned on the program, I started out this year as your Vice President and I am now your President. That was quite a shift in positions. But to explain what has been happening over the past course of this year, there have been many things happening. We have been popping out of our shells, so to speak, and attending various events throughout the state. We do this for several reasons, such as uh, to network, meet new people and organizations, and let people know that we are still out here and that we are still doing well. It feels so good to see new faces and fresh faces out there stepping up to the plate as committee members, chairs, officers, and so many of you that have expressed interest in what is happening in and with this organization. You all are MCB, and you all make a difference. One of the things I have said from the onset is that I believe in transparency. I believe that all of you should know and have a, a part of what is happening and what happens in MCB. I want to see more information being received by all of you so that in a timely manner so that you can express your thoughts and ideas by talking or emailing to anyone on the board and that includes Chip or myself. I want to get back to the days when the membership knew they had a part in this organization and had say so as well. We hired a consultant, Eugene Taylor, last November to help us determine whether we should hire an executive director or a director of resource and development. You will be hearing more from him later today. I can assure you that as he is delving into what our organization is about and how we work, we learned many things and uncovered many surprises much more than we thought. One of the largest issues was and still is communication. This is getting better but still needs more help and more work, especially information coming from the board to you. There are ideas in process to hopefully help this issue to be resolved. We also want to hear back from you. Remember, communication goes both directions. It goes from us to you and from you to us. I welcome input from all of you. Whether you want to or need to vent 
or if you have questions or ideas, or if you think things are playing out nicely in MCB, whatever it might be, we really would love to hear from all of you. I keep saying all of you, and I know you're thinking, okay, okay, we get the point, but I sincerely mean it. I don't care who you are in this organization. Your ideas mean a lot. You never know where a good thought comes from. So in closing, there's one thing that I really want you to know and, and think about. This is a member-driven organization, and that means that the president is accountable to the members and the board. I promise to listen to you. We can talk all day about what we are going to do, but now it's time to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Thanks for listening to me. Please welcome Stacy Brady, MS from, you all know who she's from, right? CRC program coordinator for. Are you serious? I don't know if this is going to mess things up, but for right now, we can do a couple of door prizes. But there is actually something that, so if, if Brandy Jones could do a few door prizes, you don't have to mess up your count or anything like that. But then we have something else that we can actually do. We're going to start with a $25 Walmart gift card from St. Louis Council of the Blind. Elizabeth Brown. How about Janitra Perry? All right, we've got a $25 Target gift card from St. Charles County Council of the Blind. Wilma Chestnut House. I've got a $25 Visa card from Queen City Council of the Blind. Carl Tiemann. How about Christy Freeman? Raymond Miles? How about Julie Broker? All right, we've got a $25 Walmart gift card from Springsfield Service Club. Wanda Lentz. All right, we've got $25 from UWB Walmart gift card. Toby Sanders. I have never had so much trouble giving money away. I'll take it. Steve I know, it is kind of... Raise your hand for me. Awesome. Daisy, who is... CRC, and she is, of course, as I said before, program coordinator to tell us about Missouri Assistive Technology. All right. My name is Stacy. I'm with Missouri Assistive Technologies, Kate mentioned. And how many of you by chance are familiar with Missouri Assistive Technology? Okay. How many of you have used the TAP Internet program? Okay. How many of you have used the TAP Wireless program? <laughs> How many of you have used the TAP Telephone program? Okay. Pretty even across the way. Do I have anybody in here who uses the I Can Connect program? A few folks? Awesome. So 
You're probably most familiar with those programs because we are the programs that give out equipment at no cost, as long as people meet eligibility. So we're glad that you guys are making use of us. That's what we're there for. We're there to support you and making sure you have access. I'm going to show some different devices you might not be familiar with today. And I'm also going to talk a little bit about some of our other programs that you might not be as familiar with, such as the Show Me Loan program. Is anybody familiar with that program? Just a couple folks, okay? Well, most of you know assistive technology is pretty cheap, is, is so cheap, right? <laughs> exactly. It's very expensive. And what do you do if you can't fund it? So, we're going to steal it. <laughs> Probably not the best idea, but. So we have a couple of programs out there besides Show Me Loans. There's the Reuse Program. Are any of you familiar with the Reuse Programs? They might be in centers like Rail or uh, Services for Independent Living in Columbia. Maybe you're working with Paraquad or Springfield down at Empower Abilities. Those are just a few of our offices that have reuse, pro, uh, reuse equipment. So check in with them regularly. And then we have the um, swap and shop, which is done online, where individuals can look at obtaining equipment between a person who's selling it and you. We just posted the actual um, movement of equipment is between you and a seller. So always keep that in mind as an alternative resource to get equipment. If it's used and in great condition, you're getting a heck of a bargain. So those are some really cool things that we've got going on. Now, as I said, I was going to show some equipment because we're going to talk a little bit not only what TAP does, again, those three programs, and also I Can't Connect, but also trying equipment before it's bought. How many of you have gotten equipment that you never got to try, you bought it, and it didn't work so well for you? A few folks in here. You, you may not have seen the hands go up, but a few folks did raise their hands because maybe they didn't want everybody to know. Okay. Or what happens if you need a repair on a device and it's got to go out for a few weeks? What do you do in the meantime? There's ways to borrow equipment, and you can do it for free. We pay for the shipping to your to you or the center, and we pay the shipping back. So while your equipment is being repaired, you can borrow a device, do what you still need to do. When you get your equipment back, you send ours back. <laughs> okay, that was, that's really new information for folks. So let's talk about demonstrations. I won't ask you to identify yourselves, but a lot of our folks, we didn't hear a few folks in here state that they are familiar with our I Can Connect program. Some individuals, as they're in their aging process, may not meet the definition for deaf, but they may be hard of hearing, and they need to be able to communicate in a way that on one-on-one -on -one would allow them to hear better. Something like a pocket talker. Um, what I have in my hand is a headphone connected to a small device. The newer version is about an inch and a half by about three inches. This one I have in my hand is an older product. It's about two inches wide by about two and a half inches long. On the top of it has a microphone. When I'm in a one-on-one -on -one situation, maybe at dinner, maybe with a doctor, maybe just with a loved one, 
I can put on the headphones, I put the microphone towards the person, and I can have a better conversation because I have a better opportunity of understanding what is said. So something to think about. Now, we do not provide this in our programs, but we do have it as a demonstration to see because maybe a Comfort Contigo would work better. That's just a different device. Knowing when to use it, where to use it, how to use it. Demonstrations and training are always free, even if a person doesn't meet an eligibility. So you may have friends or family or someone who's just not sure. Have them come and schedule an appointment and try equipment. Zoom text keyboard. Zoom text keyboard isn't for everybody. You have, preferably if you have some low vision, this one happens to have yellow keys with stark contrasting black print. You may not know if this is the best keyboard for you. You can try out other devices at our demonstration locations and see which one better matches and then you can apply through tap I to get this. Or if an individual doesn't meet eligibility, tell them where to, we'll tell them where to purchase it. How many people are familiar with the Zoom text? Okay, quite a few of you. Now, obviously, with Zoom text keyboard, you need Zoom text. Anybody know where you get that Zoom text? Any guesses? You can apply through Tap I. So your demonstration sides, maybe some of you are familiar with Brenda, you can apply for that. The next thing I'm going to show is the Brilliant 40. How many of you are familiar with the Brilliant 40? Couple of folks. How many of you in here by clap of hands use Braille? Okay. So the Mantis, the Brilliant, the Focus 40s are all different types of Braille devices as you're aware of. How do you know which one works best for you? You can try it through your local demonstration sites. Your sites, if they don't have it, will borrow it from us. Try it, see what works, get you the right Braille display. If you qualify through TAP-I, you'll get it at no cost. If you don't, we'll tell you where to get it. So these are not cheap, as you know. So someone who needs to fund this, this is where Show Me Loans, again, paints a picture for some folks in making sure they get the correct equipment that works for them and provides them the best access possible. Some of our folks, as I mentioned, who are deafblind may not know when their signaler is going off. Maybe it's signaling because there's a smoke detector going off. Maybe it's because it's time to wake up. Maybe it's because their cell phone's going off. Maybe it's their house phone. So Brenda in the I Can Connect program offers to individuals who meet the eligibility for deafblind to obtain something called a VIBE. Now, VIBE is specific to sonic alert equipment. There's another company called Serene that has a similar device that goes with their product. The sonic alert is itty-bitty. It's about an inch and a half by two and a half inches. It has on the top of it a visual signaler. It also vibrates. So the interesting thing about the visual signaler is depending on what is going off, what equipment transmitters signaling, the color of that will also be indicative. So, and I, please don't take this, I don't know my exact colors that it has. Like, I do know the smoke detector, it'll flash red. 
It'll also vibrate a pattern, and I don't know the exact patterns, but let's say one, 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 and it'll continuously do that till it's responded to. You'll know that's an emergency situation. Perhaps the the house phone signal is zero one zero one, so bzz, 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 versus a bzz, 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 it would flash say yellow. Okay, this gives the person not only a visual indicator but a, a physical tactile indication of what is happening, so that they can make the best decision and what to answer and how to respond to it. So the home aware signaler with the vibe is available for I can connect. Are there any questions about what I've shown so far? Okay. And by the way, anything that's in tap wireless and and tap I is available on I can connect, just so you're aware. For tap telephone, I brought a house phone. You'll notice we now say house phone. We don't call it landline. We don't call it analog because the way that a house phone is used nowadays is not analog. Analog is going away. Most of your phone service for your house now is going to be alternative methods. It's either going to be digital, fiber optic, voice over internet, or wireless home. So they have a box in the house where the signal is coming from the cell tower to give you your service. So we now just call it house phone. And we do have some basic cell phones on the house phone program. But what I brought with me today, this happens to be a cordless phone. It's called the XLC8. It's about six inches long by about two inches wide. It, the, it kind of is what people refer to as the ice cream scoop phone. Those of you who have some vision are going, yeah, that's what it looks like. It has a red ring around the top as a flash indicator. And then there's a smaller screen with some larger print on it. And below that are some basic buttons and then the keypad, standard 12 keys on the keypad. This phone, and I have been talking with the manufacturers about this, I love when they design a phone that'll do stuff, except it, and it'll talk to you, except for where it's important, in the menu where you have to turn everything on. Because, you know, it makes it so easy to know what you're doing when you have no clue what you're pushing. So I am talking with the manufacturers to make sure that the um, screens, the information that's housed inside the menu is more accessible. Um, it's a long road, but I'm trying. <laughs> Anyhow, phones on the tap telephone program may contain Braille. It may have voiceover, or excuse me, not voiceover, may have talk back. It, we have large buttons, we have jumbo buttons, we have, in this case, small buttons. It may be for someone who has macular degeneration, knowing the difference between whether it's amber or blue or no backlighting is extremely important. There's nothing more than I've gotten a person into my office, we think we found the right phone, and then I say, look at the buttons, and they're like, I can't see them anymore because the backlighting wasn't proper for it. So we've had to change what device they do. And that's the purpose of demonstrations, too, is, yeah, we think this is going to work, but is it really meeting the needs? So keep that in mind. Okay. Now, I talked about tap telephone. How many of you even have a house phone anymore? Oh. 
I am impressed, a lot more than I thought. How many of you have wireless phones only, cell phones? Okay. How many of you think house phones are going to be around much longer? Okay. We got some realistic people in the audience. I love it. So on tap telephone, I mentioned some basic phones that, that are cellular. This first, this one I'm going to show you, this is called the Real Sam Pocket. This was introduced to our tap telephone program in August, late August at that. This is a, this is a phone and technically it is a smartphone, but the overlay in it makes it very simple. This is for someone who is not techie. This is not for someone who's going to be emailing. This is something for someone who needs basic technology. Okay? I'm going to try to make it talk for you. While you can get in and do podcasts and newspapers, it's a limited selection. Ira has been now offered on this for a very short time. And you get to do all things by a touch and voice. So I'm going to try to make it do a couple things real quick. What is the weather? Sorry, I could not determine your location. She did not like me. Let's try this again. You know this would happen to Brenda, too. <laughs> Actually, it did. She let me know it was being finicky at her conference yesterday. <laughs> All right, we're going to try this again. What is the weather? Oh, what is the weather? I have to touch first. Sorry, I could not determine your location. <laughs> what is the time? The time is 22 minutes past 2 p.m. on Friday. October 7th, 2022. Now, she told us the time. I just want you to know, on this screen, you can't see what the time is at all. It's not listed. So, no. I couldn't tell you if that's right or not. Um, some people are going, it is. So this is very simplified. Now, I don't have the ability to call on it, but I'm told that... Um, there are a couple of other functions in here to help simplify the ability to call. So you can say, call Bob. And Bob's going to get a call and be like, who is this? And I'll be like, hey, it's Stacy. And he's like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I'm picking on Bob up here. Um, but then there's ways you can say, if Bob called you, add Bob's phone number, and it'll do that function for you. So this isn't for everybody. Again, low-tech technology, even though it's on a big fancy phone. And by the way, how many of you use, when you first get a phone, and don't be shy, how many of you use a sighted person to get started? Quite a few of you. Okay. This actually has a sighted guide in it, too. And the company, Real Sam, has now started composing videos for how to initially get it started. They're up to 29 videos, and they have a every other week um, online meeting where you can ask anything just to try to learn how to do it. And this is all brand new, and this has all happened in the last month and a half. 
So keep that in mind for people you might know who have a vision loss. I'm going to assume if it's like my smartphone, it'll say which Bob, but I could be wrong. It might be Bob the Minion if you've ever seen Minion movies. Or Bob the Builder, yes. Okay. All right. The last product I brought with me, just out of show of hands, how many of you use a tablet? Quite a few of you. Um, tablets have been amazing, just like smartphones. But they're not everything. So I, most of you know you can do a whole lot of stuff on a tablet but it doesn't cover everything. So there is a use for computers still these days. Okay. The great thing is the accessibility. It doesn't matter if it's Apple or Android. I'm not, I, you know, some people have preferences. That's fine. The accessibility is getting better and better all the time. There are still issues. There are a lot of issues. And right now, if those of you who are using Apple, and I'm not hating on Apple, they're still working out some bugs. They made a post recently um, that they're aware of some bugs, and they're still working on those. And then yesterday, Google made their announcements, and I did not get to hear that. So it'll be interesting on what kind of bugs will be introduced with their new equipment. But there are things that are happening. So those of you who use an iPad... Just so you know, first of all, this iPad is out of the I Can Connect program. Brenda is able to get equipment that's bigger than what I can do in the state program. This is an iPad Pro. Again, this is only in the I Can Connect program. The TAP wireless program is doing the standard iPad, which now I believe is 10.2 to 10.9 inches. Okay, so they're getting bigger, and then of course you can set it up with um, Zoom text, or excuse me, with Zoom, and there's voiceover. Uh, there's a lot of capabilities, and you're all aware of that. One thing I would really like people to to discuss with others who are interested in equipment, knowing the difference between voiceover and talkback or Siri. Okay, voiceover and talkback versus Siri and OK Google. They are not the same. And so does, does everybody know the difference between the? Okay, I see some heads shaking now. So voiceover and talkback are your screen readers. OK Google and Siri are your personal assistants. They're going to do a function versus the voiceover, which is reading a function. So when people call and they're asking us questions, we're having to differentiate what they're doing. Both Brenda and I ask, have to ask a lot of questions. Make sure when you're, you're telling people about what you're doing or if they have questions that we're understanding the functions of what voiceover does, talk back if you're on Android, and what the personal assistant does. Again, are they doing a function? Or are they reading a screen? Because that, how they're interacting with that device makes a big difference in how they're navigating or not navigating through their equipment. And there's a lot of video series out there, um, you know, to get help. They can call and ask us. 
but we're one person in the programs. So Brenda does what she does and I do what I do. We, we only have so many man hours between the two of us to answer those. We, we do the best we can. So um, that's kind of a little bit about those programs. So the big part is demonstration offices are all over the state of Missouri. Feel free to make access to those. Equipment can, for some programs can be obtained at no cost based on eligibility. If you have tech questions, depending on what kind it is, we'll shuffle you around to the right person in the office or we'll send you to our tech, uh, tech people. And then we have the, sh the financial loan programs. So we mentioned, I mentioned earlier about what do you do if you have equipment that's expensive? And again, how many people are familiar with the Missouri Show Me Loan program? Very few people. Okay. So let's say you need to purchase a hearing aid. That's a great one. Thanks, Kay. Okay. Hearing aids are pretty costly, and the audiologist will tell you, yeah, you can get care credit. Okay. Nothing wrong with care credit. As long as you can pay your device off in six months, it's not that expensive. That's not always easy. And the interest rate then accrues from the time at the beginning. Missouri Assistive Technology offers a long-term low-interest rate loan that people can apply for. The interest rate is between 2 and 4%. The money that comes back goes back into the program to allow it to, to grow and generate more equipment for more people. So someone who has a $6,000 set of hearing aids would be able to apply and then pay that off over five, uh, three years. And she can help work through, the Eileen is the person who handles that, she can work through how much that would be approximately per month and what loan rate an individual would get for that based on their credit. And by the way, medical expenses are the primary reason why people don't qualify for a loan because they've been bankrupted or um, they've, they just have so many bills. That is taken into consideration to help individuals determine how much they would have to pay back. So it really helps out with a lot of people to be able to purchase equipment that would... It really helps out with a lot of people being able to afford equipment and have that in their daily lives and improve it. OrCam is not covered by our programs, and that's a really expensive piece of equipment. So how do you get that? Well, you can take out a loan, pay that back over X amount of years, and you have that equipment that you've purchased. And again, that Show Me Loan program has been really beneficial for a lot of folks. You have to have some income because you got to pay it back. But there's not a... Eileen is the best person to talk to about that. She can tell you based on the income how much the cost to pay that equipment back and how long a term that would be. So like hearing aids are three years, but something like an Oracam and don't take me, don't take this as, you know, the word, but it may be five years to pay that back. Is there a minimum limit? Well, no, you don't have a maximum limit, but you'll pay a, the 4% interest. Stacy, at our last Missouri Assistive Technology Advisory Council meeting, 
Scott, who is one of the staff members with Missouri Assistive Technology, did an outstanding job in presenting the Envision glasses. And because the Envision glasses are growing more and more in popularity each day, uh, and, and all of us recognize $34.99 is a lot of money. Unless you were able to purchase them back in August, late August, uh, you could have got them for $24.99. What would you suggest if someone wanted to test out the Envision glasses? What would be the proper process? Where would they go to be able to test out those Envision glasses? Contact our office. We have one now in our loan lab. So that's something that can be tested at a regional facility if you're working with RSB, if you're working with a demonstration site, if an IL center. They can borrow that from us and try it with you to see if it's going to work. And if it does, then, and you're like, I can't afford $3,500, can I apply for the Show Me loan? And you can complete the paperwork for that. And Eileen would help you with figuring out what your monthly cost would be. Um, there, Bob here is one of the members on that committee. He did mention to me that is a income to debt ratio. But again, medical stuff is taken into consideration because again, many people have health issues, multiple disabilities, whatever the case may be. So that is something that is taken into consideration in what somebody would pay plus the amount of interest that they would pay back based on their income. And my name is Bob. With United Workers, um, I was I was um, you know another product for um, suggestion. Have you thought about um, you know the, the another smartphone that is coming out is the um, the the blind shell phone? Um, have you thought about looking into that? And I was you know I I bought it. I I bought one and. I was wondering if I might have, before I bought it, I didn't know anything about the Show Me Loans program. Um, even though you don't sell it, would you have, I mean, would I maybe have qualified for that? So we actually had Blind Shell on the program until um, it went defunct last year. This was the first one. So since then, they have developed the, smart, the Blind Shell too. The initial release of the Blind Shell 2 has had a few bugs in it. And I have actually been watching it. We are, we are aware of it. We, again, last year when the whole thing went kapooey with the three going out and a lot of phones, a lot of people struggling to get them onto their carrier, which by the way, Blind Shell is T-Mobile exclusive. So you cannot take it to anyone and that's another problem people have. AT&T was able to do the first blind shell. It gets really tricky. It will technically work on some, very few, some AT&T networks. It, yeah, so we pretty much tell people it's it's T-Mobile exclusive at this point. Okay. I have been watching the blogs and they're just about the time I'm like, okay, let's move forward. Something big happens. And so recently they just had another big oof happen. Once I can see that it's not having as many issues, I will look at putting it back on the program. Now your question was, would that be something that you could get on? Uh, if it's not offered through a program, is that something you can get through Show Me Loans? 
Yes, because it's assistive technology. So that is something, $500 is, is a lot of money to put out initially. Yeah, that's something you can talk with Eileen about on putting it on the Show Me Loan program. Bob, I'm sorry you already got your phone. It is something I'm watching and have been watching. Keep an eye on that. If it does come back, it will probably go on tap telephone again just because it seems to be, just because it seems to work for a lot of our folks who may not use it as heavily for some of its rich features. And we don't want to create an additional barrier. Okay, so the question was a low tech phone, you can't text with your voice either. You know, you, even with voice, can you text at all? And if so, can, uh, will it do it by voice? So on the real Sam, yes, you can text. You can talk as long as you can talk and text. So talk to me, calling, text, yes, you can. On something like the jitterbug flip, no, you can't do that. And Jitterbug Flip is a low-tech phone that we do offer on our tap telephone program. How many of you have ever been to PowerUp? Okay, a few of you. I'd like to see more of you there. We're uh, finishing up our contracts, and we'll be releasing those dates as soon as we can and where we're going to have it here real soon. All right, we have one over this way. Excuse me. I have a question about um, the... TAP program, the wireless TAP program, about the income limit. Um, I'm retired and I don't work, so I have, I do have a limited income, but I do have, um, retirement investments. And so how, how does that work? Okay. No, that's a great question. So for all of the TAP programs, let me just tell you a little bit about eligibility. All of this is the same. You have to have a disability. You have to be a Missouri resident. You have to have an access issue. An access issue would be someone who's deaf or hard of hearing who needs relay, someone who's blind or low vision, who can't use just regular, you know, button phone real easily. Okay? Those are access issues. And the income for a family of one and two is $60,000 gross adjusted, adjusted gross. Okay? So six zero, sixty thousand, which is really generous for for a state program. Okay, for a family of three, that is sixty five. For a family of four, that's seventy thousand. So it's five dollars for de each dependent after the initial two people in the home. So most of our people, obviously, anything, almost everything I see. Taking in consideration what's on your income tax forms is going to be what we're using to determine. So a lot of people are eligible. We're not one of those that is 100% like or 200% poverty level. We have a set standard. Can you talk more about, for the techie people, the actual iPhones themselves? Okay. So for individuals who may be more tech-savvy or wanting to do much more tech-savvy items, we offer Apple and Android. There are some substantial differences between uh, Android and Apple, sometimes in the way they function or what you're wanting them to do. Apple obviously has built in all their accessibility features through buttons. When I say buttons, radials, and stuff in their system on iOS. 
The interesting thing about Android is you have to turn tuck, or you have to turn your features on within the device and also through the Google uh, system. And then if you happen to have a Samsung, there may be some additional accessibility in there. So you may be talking about two different, well, two different stores that you have to use accessibility through. So for the wireless program, there's several important things that have to be done if individuals are applying. One, we're expecting advanced distance communications. Advanced distance communications include email, but more importantly, other ways to do stuff. How many of you have been using conference calls via the, via the internet, webinars? A lot of you, okay? How many of you, how many of you drive? <laughs> well, how do you set that up? What, what are the ways that those have to be set up nowadays? You have to use an app, right? And when you, that car's coming, what do you have to use? You have to use the app. And the app tells you what? Who your driver is, what the car is, and how do you pay for it? All on the app. Okay? Well, if you're not using that, it's really hard to get service. Okay? For someone who's deaf or hard of hearing, some of the individuals in here who may be deaf blind, they may use sign communications. Well, I can't just pick up a phone if I'm deaf and start calling and getting a video relay operator. I have to use the app for video relay. So those types of things start getting into advanced distance communications. How many of you order your groceries online? I'm sighted. I ordered my groceries online. Okay. Well, if you can't just drive and go get your groceries, you have to depend on something else, someone else. It may be worth the $100 a year or whatever your company charges to have your groceries delivered, okay? So there's a lot of new features and ways to access advanced distance communications that we've not been able to do in the past. Now, if you're going to apply for wireless, you have, I have to collect data. I, this is not a permanent program yet. I'm trying really super hard. I need the data. I need people to do the surveys. I need people to respond to those emails we send out. Because that's the only way I'm going to get it permanent. Okay? So we want you to apply if it's something you're needing, if it's something you're using. If you're not a heavy techie person, you don't want to do the, the surveys and stuff, maybe a less techie phone would be better. If you're not sure what you need, call us and we'll try to explain it, you know, and help guide you in the right direction but we're a resource for you guys. If you're still not sure, you can call the local centers for independent living. I work with all but the Springfield RSB offices. Springfield has deferred their consumers to Empower Abilities and over to the Joplin offices just because they feel that those folks have a better grip on what's happening. And they work so, so much with those offices. I also work with Alpha Point in Kansas City and the Society for the Blind here in St. Louis. And then I also work with Deaf Inc. So there are a lot of ways to access someone and ask questions, but don't hesitate if you have questions about tap telephone, tap wireless, or even tap internet. We're here for you. Well, I appreciate you allowing me an opportunity to present and hopefully answered your questions. If, if I've utterly confused you, call Brenda. <laughs> 
I, thank you, Stacy. I really appreciate that. But guys, this is from years of, of listening to Brenda. Does anybody remember what their website is? Come on. You guys used to always say it was Brenda. Okay, Stacy, since they don't remember. <laughs> Our website is MO for Missouri. MO dot AT. Anybody guess what AT is? Assistive technology dot gov. MO dot AT dot gov. Missouri Assistive Technology. Next up, the chair is pleased to introduce Taylor Ofori, Nick NIC and National Program Manager for Vancro Integrated Interpreting Tech, uh, Services. See, there should be three T's there, but okay. Integrated <sighs> Interpreting Services. So anyway, Taylor, if you could take it over, go for it before I mess this up completely. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Taylor Ofori. Thank you, Kay, for that lovely introduction. I'm also joined up here by Sarah Collins. She's an assistant program manager with me on this contract. So Vancro holds the SSP contract in the state of Missouri. SSP, as most of you know, is support service provider. So we provide services at no cost to individuals who have dual sensory loss. So if you have vision and hearing loss, you can qualify for this program. Again, these services are completely free to you. This is all funded through a grant through the state of Missouri. We also are in need of SSPs. Essentially, they act as sighted guides, and we pay them $20 an hour. So for those SSPs in the room, apply. We need you. We have a huge, huge deafblind community here in Missouri and really need more help. So we also have a team of four deaf-blind specialists that cover the state. Um, up here at the front, you'll see Chip Haley. He's one of our regional specialists. We have three others across the state. They use various means of communication. Some use spoken English, and some use tactile American Sign Language. This program was started in 2016 when the Missouri legislature passed a bill, and it allows us to get grant funding every year. So we're thrilled to be providing this program. The eligibility to receive services varies, but you do have to have that dual sensory loss. I will say that a lot of folks, especially as they age, have hearing loss and might not be aware of it. So if you find that you're going to the doctor and you'd like to request a hearing test, I strongly encourage you to do that. You might qualify for our program. So some examples of some SSP activities are going to the grocery store, going to a concert, a restaurant, anything that you might want to do to help promote your independence. Um, SSPs provide visual, social, and envir environmental information. I'm sure most of you know this as you have familiarity working with SSPs. Um, and I wanted to mention that we provide a two-day training that's paid to SSPs. And it's taught by deafblind and hearing-sighted individuals, so you get a good variety of presenters and trainers. We cover the entire state of Missouri. Uh, deafblind individuals do have to be residents of Missouri, but SSPs can reside anywhere. We have a lot of SSPs on the Kansas side for Kansas City and on the Illinois side over here. 
And Sarah wanted to talk about just some of the highlights this year um, since our fiscal year started in July. Hello, everyone. Um, great to be here with you all. Good to, good to share space. Um, I know I am seeing many faces I've seen before, so I'm really happy to be here. Uh, like Taylor said, I just wanted to mention some of the exciting things that we've done this year. So we just finished out the first quarter of the fiscal year. And in that time, we've provided SSP services for 234 requests. Um, we've onboarded 10 new deafblind participants across the state, and we are working on onboarding about 20 new SSPs. So as Taylor mentioned, when SSPs start in our program, they're required to attend a training. We do have two trainings coming up soon. So if anyone is interested in implying, we really, really encourage you to do so. Our St. Louis training is uh, early November, the 10th and 11th. Is that correct, Taylor? Oh, 12th and 13th, November 12th and 13th. And then our training in Kansas City is December 3rd and 4th. So um, we do have them on each side of the state. That way people don't have to travel too far for them and they are coming up soon. So we really encourage you to apply. We also just hosted a really huge event in St. Louis. We brought in some deafblind uh, trainers from across the nation to do some pro-tactile language training with both SSPs in the area um, from across the state, actually. Some came down from Kansas City and then also with our deafblind program specialists. And one of our program specialists is going to a intensive six-week training starting this weekend um, in pro-tactile language theory so that she can come back and teach other folks that skill and uh, can hopefully kind of spread around the community to folks who would benefit and utilize that. So that's a little bit about what we've done this year, and I'll pass it over to Taylor for any questions. See one question. Teach the SSP sign language. That's a great question. Uh, we we don't. There are a lot of interpreting programs across the state. Um, a lot of deafblind individuals, especially here in St. Louis, do not use ASL to communicate. So when we are matching SSPs with deafblind consumer, we make sure that if the SSP only knows English, we'll put them with an English-speaking consumer. But you don't have to know ASL in order to participate. I see a couple questions in the back. Hello, I'm Tana. I would like to know, how do you apply for the SSP? Thank you. Yes, the question was, how do you apply for the program? So I can give you my card. And I'm. we've also got a table set up, uh, Chip and another program specialist here, Steffi Burkhead, um, are switching off at that table. And there's cards and some additional information. So if you don't catch me today, don't worry. There's still time to get more information. And if the conference ends and you think, oh, shoot, I wish I would have got their information, you can always reach out to Kay and Chip to pass on uh, your contact information or vice versa. Do you know where someone can go to learn tactile sign language? Thank you. The question was, do we know where you could learn tactile sign language? We are working on setting up some tactile sign classes here. Uh, it requires uh, additional teaching, and the teacher has to be uh, familiar with deafblind culture. So it's a work in progress, and as soon as we get that set up, we're looking at partnering with Deaf Inc. We'll be sure to advertise those services. I do have a question. Is tactile sign language different than American Sign Language? done differently? Great question. Thank you. Um, it's 
just very different in some of its nuances because you have to take a visual language and then create it, uh, then make it be tactile. Most of it is the same. There are just a few adjustments here and there. I did want to mention that we're also having a haptics training in April. It'll be April 1st and 2nd. It's a two-day intensive haptics training. We're also going to be touching on some protactile language theory. And haptics um, are touch signals that you use on, on your body, typically on your back, to provide environmental information. This is a great fit for any individual with vision loss as well as dual sensory loss. Thank you all so much for having us. We're so excited to be here, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your convention. Thank you very much for the great presentation, and it's, it's a really welcome, I, I don't know how to say it, you know, just for deaf-blind people, I mean, we, we deal a lot with blind, but somehow the deafblind really get forgotten, and so it's really, really good to hear that things are being done in the state to promote this, so thank you. So now I'd like, the, the chair would like to welcome Lori Brown, Director of Public Services for Wolfner Talking Book and Braille Library. Um, I'm going to start by just giving a brief overview of the Wolfner Talking Book and Braille Library, and then I'm going to tell you some exciting things that the National Library Service has started for us. As said, I'm Director of Public Services. My name is Lori Brown. Um, Wolfner Talking Book and Braille Library is a division of the State Library, and its director is Robin Westfall. We are a regional library of the National Library Service. We were developed to create accessible formats of reading materials for individuals. The goal of Wolfner Library is to expand the amount of accessible library materials to Missourians with print disabilities. This is low vision, visually impaired, blind, physical impairments, and reading disabilities. We currently serve 8,000 Missourians, which is about 20% of the citizens of Missouri that qualify for us. Uh, we provide our patrons audiobooks, large print books, and braille books. We do everything through the mail to their homes since we serve the whole entire state. And it is mailed free matter for the blind, and everything is returned in the same matter. The library service is free, and its delivery to your mailbox is free. We offer over 200,000 audiobooks, 25,000 hardcover braille books. We also offer over 100 magazines in audio and braille format. We have the National Federation of the Blinds Newsline, where our patrons can call and have newspapers from across Missouri and the country read to them. Our collection has never been weeded. We have every James Patterson, uh, Louis Lamar, Debbie McCumber. Nothing ever goes away from our dirt digital library. Wolfner has recorded and produced and uploaded over a thousand Missouri-related books to BARD, 
that contain Missouri themes, authors, and events. Without our production studio, most of these books would not have been accessible to Missourians and those across our country. Our team of 41 volunteers excel in their productivity. In August, the total audiobooks surpass the 500 mark for the first time in hours of dedicated service. This summer, we recorded, produced, and uploaded the Wilma Chestnut story to Bard, which is the upcoming Bookworms book. Absolutely phenomenal. We were able to connect Wilma with the young lady who narrated her book, and it was a moment that was, I was just in awe. Um, the heartfelt appreciation that they both had for each other. I will say it's getting closer to our adult winter reading program. This year we are playing bingo. Um, the cards are all the same and can be mailed to you in large print or in braille. It'll be accessible on our website or as always you can call a reader advisor to help you with your braille card. Now, how many of you in here are not a patron of the Wolfner Talking Book and Braille Library, yet you like to read, listen to books? I have cards. I'll give you my Braille business card, and you can call us, and we'll get you set up with services. There is a lot of new National Library Service news, and I'm just going to touch on some of the items under the direction of the new director, Jason Broughton, NLS has vamped up the patron engagement section, and with it comes new programs that go directly to the patrons. NLS is hosting a patron corner quarterly to discuss aspects of the library service. The first patron corner was held in September, and the next one is December 12th. Um, it is the second Monday of the quarter, um, so it'll be December and it'll be March. You can call in or you can get into these via Zoom. It'll be on the website of NLS. It is on the Wolfner website, and you can always call the library and get the details. NLS claim wants to increase BARD users by 25% in the next year. BARD is a download system where you can download books to either one of our digital players or you can download books to a smart device such as a smartphone or your computer. They plan to improve the BARD interface, improve downloading speeds, and increase BARD's capacity. <clears throat> they are hosting the Many Faces of BARD to help decrease patent patron intimidation. It is a monthly educational series. It will be held the second Thursday of every month at 6 p.m. Missouri time. And the next one will be October 1st. And as I said, you can call in to join these, or 
you can, um, if you have a computer or a smart device, you can use a Zoom link. I have the phone number. I can read it to you, um, but it is on our website. It's on the NLS website. And once again, you can call Wolfner Library, and a reader advisor will help you with that. NLS plans to distribute an additional 3,000 Braille e-readers, bringing the total to 9,000. Expand Braille on Demand and has started piloting the next generation digital talking book machine, the DA2. And it's also working with smart speaker applications. The DA2 will have the ability to download from BARD. Um, NLS plans to conduct their first summer reading program in 2023. Uh, we are hoping at Wolfner that with NLS's backing and it being nationwide, that we will be able to offer Missourians a wide array of programs, author talks, and so forth this summer. The Braille On Demand project is new, and let me tell you about it in case you don't know. It's part of the Braille Modernization Initiative. This allows active patrons to request and receive one hard copy Braille book per month to keep. The Braille titles are limited to those that are available on BARD. It's not the whole entire um, library, but it is huge. It's over 20,000 titles. There is a link on the NLS user website that you can request a book to be made for you, or you can call Wolfner Library and a reader advisor will get on the computer and make that request for you. This is very good for books that you plan to reread, devotionals, poetry, um, cookbooks, that sort of thing. Okay, Lori, yes. years ago, uh, MCB had partnered with Wolfner Library. Wolfner Library has been such a meaningful part of all of our lives for years and years and years. I don't know what we would do without it. And so, but we, we would often uh, go before our state legislature and request additional funding. I want you to know that Missouri Council of the Blind is here. If you ever need us as a blind consumer organization to reach out to our state legislators and say, hey, listen, Wolfner Library is important to our daily lives. So if there's ever a time that you feel that you would like to see an increase in funding, please feel free to reach out to the Missouri Council of the Blind. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have a question for you. And in a way, I hate to bring it up because I understand, I understand the policy, but many, many people have brought up the issue of large print the catalog, talking book topics. Yes. And and my question to you is, rather than just print them out, because to be really, really honest with you, we get a print talking book topic, not necessarily from Wolfner, I don't know what, and, and it ends up in the garbage. So, and it's sad. So my question is, 
is let's say there are a few people that want the large print catalogs. Is there any way that instead of mass printing them, you could get them to people that really wanted them, that when they weren't going to just end up in the landfill or recycling or whatever? Is that a possibility? It's the only workable thing that I can think of because I think it's silly to mass mail them and have what? A quarter of them, half of them, I don't know how many, thrown into the landfill? Okay, uh, the Talking Book Topic Catalog <laughs> is produced by NLS. It was bi-monthly, six, six times a year it was produced. They were pr producing 250,000 copies, and this book was 60 to 80 pages long. The National Library Service was told by the government printing that they could no longer print the talking book topics. We are in a paper, uh, paper shortage as well as an ink shortage. It would be too costly for Wolfner Library to take on printing talking book topics. If someone does not have a computer they can call a reader advisor, and first of all, it can be read to them. Secondly, if they have certain genres that they want, we will print those genres out and mail those to them. But for us to do the whole, we, we absolutely just can't do that. So yes, we will guide, we will help, and if someone does need it in large print, call the library and we'll see what we can do for you. We have printed out genres. In other words, someone wants romance and mystery. We have done that for our folks. A couple years ago, um, at one of the uh, national conventions, they had a machine there going from like um, the disc to uh, handwritten on a machine for like a digital reader. Will that ever be coming out where you can take uh, a regular book that's actually in print and put it to the digital reader? I don't know exactly how you're going to develop that, but they talk about a prototype. No. NLS has not spoken of that. They are moving towards the D82 and the Braille electronic reading machine. Both of those is what they're going with. Everything is moving to digital and moving away from print not just at the National Library Service, but even your public libraries are starting to go more digital. Thank you and have a wonderful convention. Now, at long last, although actually I think we're ahead of schedule, please welcome Keith A. Roderick, Dep Deputy Director, of Rehabilitation Services for the Blind. Hello, thanks for having me here today. Uh, really appreciate the invitation. I, I enjoy coming here each year, and uh, I'm actually going to have a little help today. So, you know, a lot of times whenever people want me to come and talk at events like this, they want to hear statistics, numbers, things like that, and, and I deal with that all the time. And, you know, we got a lot of federal and state funding for the services that we do. So while it's important for us to keep track of that, I think it's also really important for us to continue focusing on what we really do, which is helping people. You know, we, we provide services so that people can help meet both their employment and their independent living goals. And so I want to focus a little bit more on that today. <clears throat> 
you know, one of the things that I tell staff all the time is that what we do as an agency, every day we change lives. That's what our jobs are. And if we focus on the people and we focus on the services, we're going to meet all those numbers on all those performance indicators that, that the people that give us money expect. And I really think that's worked out for us as an agency over the last uh, two to three years. We've actually been one of the top performing agencies in the nation, uh, according to our federal partners. Um, last year alone, we were second in the nation uh, for the median, for what, for what they call um, employment fourth quarter after exit. So people that maintain their jobs four quarters after they leave. We were third for people who met measurable skill gains. So they were in some kind of an educational program, and they got some measurable skill gains. They graduated to a next class, or they, they got some kind of uh, a credential. They graduated high school, something like that. So <clears throat> we were third in the nation on that. We were fourth in the nation for people maintaining employment two quarters after they leave. So we were very well compared to other, other agencies across the nation. So I think that's worked out very well for us. And some of the things that we've done over the last year um, to really help the services that we provide, in April of this year, we created an online referral form. That actually, we created it in April, it went live in May. So now people can go online to our website and you can fill out an application for services. Since that's gone live in, in May, we've had 102 applications. So that's really good. That, that's a much better uh, response rate than we thought we would get. We've also created a, a client recruitment team. I think everyone knows with COVID, the world changed. Places that we used to go to help uh, get the word out about who we are, what we do, um, a lot of that's no longer available. So we've got a group together with all the district offices, and we're talking about ways that we can, can get out into the communities and reach more people. We've also created a new program with our Prevention of Blindness program. <clears throat> that was another thing that was impacted by COVID. Two things, uh, really. COVID was the big one. We used to do glaucoma screenings around the state. The machines that we use are no longer recommended by the FDA because it's an air puff and it can spread fluids from the eyes. So that was no longer recommended. So this year at the Missouri State Fair, we kicked off a new program that's, that's a more comprehensive vision screening program. So it's a machine that will test near acuities, distant acuities, color blindness, uh, depth perception. It'll look at field division. Um, and so that's a newer program that we're now providing around the state. And then one of the big changes that we've done uh, is what I call rapid engagement. So we've really looked at what the processes are when people come to us and they, they need services and they fill out an application. Now, according to the federal government, <clears throat> You can have up to 150 days from the time someone fills out an application to the time they get services, and that's way too long. Um, we were in at about 126 days on average, so it was better than what the Fed said, but it's still too long. So we implemented some things such as DocuSign. If anyone's worked with us, you may have seen this. Uh, so it's an electronic form. We can email things out. We can get electronic signatures. Um, we've looked at the assessments that we do. And do we really need to be doing assessments when we're doing those assessments, or can they wait till a later date? And essentially, by changing some of the processes, we've gone from 126 days to 76 days. So we've taken 50 days off of that time frame without sacrificing services. <clears throat> 
And then one of the biggest things that I've been working on <clears throat> is creating what I call an employment unit. So I think as most people know with our vocational rehabilitation program, the main goal is helping people get jobs. And so I wanted a group of people that would focus on uh, working with employers and working with, with clients when they're job ready to help them get that employment goal. And that's what their primary focus is. So today I brought someone with me that some of you may be familiar with, and his name is Jeff Lamontia. And Jeff is actually, Jeff is, is our new supervisor for our employment unit. So I'm gonna let Jeff talk to you for just a little bit on what his unit does. Thank you very much, Keith. I really uh, appreciate that intro. Um, Guys, it's wonderful being back here working with you all um, at, with Missouri Council of the Blind. I miss all of you very much. Um, I am very thankful to be with Rehab Services for the Blind in, in the capacity that I'm in um, in this particular role that I'm working in. So um, our employment unit is, is young, like uh, Keith was alluding to here. Um, we are still growing our team. Uh, we're looking for another job development specialist right here in St. Louis. And then uh, we, we're finding someone to replace me in uh, Springfield. Um, so I will be coordinating our entire unit um, at this particular time. Uh, one of the big things that, for me, that, that I'm really looking for and our agency is looking for is um, making those connections with those employers um, and, and really bringing quality candidates to them, and that's with our clients. And, and to be able to look at all the things that our clients are bringing forward, the skill sets, the abilities, um, and all the education, the experience, and connecting them up with that specific employer. But what that means from our staff and our team at Rehab Services for the Blind is we have to look at all the things that the clients currently have in place and, and some of the things that maybe they don't um, and, and then be able to build upon those. So like, for example, when we're talking about being job ready, we want our clients to have um, the, the rehab teaching skills so that, that, that RTs provide to them. So your activities of daily living, those things, um, uh, to, to be able to you know, walk around in their home, check their mail, um, being able to do all the things uh, such as cooking, cleaning, chores, whatever it is around the home, those things under wraps and taken care of. We also, and that's something we provide with Rehab Services of Blind, of course. Um, but additionally, orientation and mobility, right? So being able to have those skills, being able to navigate with inside of an employer starts with navigating your daily life. So being able to have those skills um, underneath uh, their belts is extremely important. And again, that's what our agency, as many of you know, helps our clients work towards. Um, additionally, um, our voc rehab counselors are working directly with our clients to assist with um, moving clients into job readiness through a variety of different programs. Okay, so uh, this might be training. This might be, um, you know, in the area of um, education, right? So depending on where the client wants to go and what their goals are and what they have in mind, that helps to drive what's ultimately going to come to fruition. So as we always say, the client is driving the bus. The client is driving the case. And with that... There's informed choice, 
right? So the client knows uh, what we're about and what we're what we're trying to get accomplished and how we're going to get that accomplished. But also at the same time, the client has to work to make those things happen as well. Because we, you know, when we see that buy-in and we see someone stepping up to the plate, it's go time. It's time to make that happen. So our unit is working directly with our counselors to assist um, in these fashions uh, and, 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 you know, to, to really work with our clients from point A to point B to be able to firmly assess where each individual is, um, where each, each individual wants to go, what careers are available based on the aspirations of, of the individual in question, and how we're going to do that. It's a total team effort. It's through collaboration. It's through connecting. Um, it's through uh, hard work and dedication that we're going to be able to do this. Um, I've been a job developer here with Rehab Services for the Blind uh, since, um, well, really uh, the middle of December. And it's been a, a big learning curve for me, but there's a lot that I've been able to bring to the table that's really impacted the clients that I've worked with and those that others have worked with. Um, I'm excited to be working across the state. I'm excited to be working for you. I'm excited to be working for our employers um, to be able to really honestly connect employers, not even with folks who are just visually impaired or blind, but with other good quality candidates, right? We're all about connecting people with the right person at the right time, at the right place. And it, it does. It takes a team to do that. And it takes learning from you guys, um, learning from, uh, you know, everyone around us. I, I get so much out of that. And I know Keith and, and Jim really, you know, they talk about that a lot, right? So um, you guys are super crucial to everything that we're doing. Um, and I ask a lot of questions, as, as do uh, my teammates. So... Um, I just want you guys to know that if you have any questions for me, you can certainly reach me at Rehab Services for the Blind. Obviously, I can, I'd love to chat you up, you know, and, and hang out with you. <laughs> um, but I, I just, I, you know, I appreciate what I really like is when folks reach out and they want to know more. Um, and they, they have specific questions because it shows that interest. But each situation is so different, you know, and everything looks, a little different based on visual impairments, based on um, the employer type, based on the goal, based on the dream, the career, and then based on experience, education, uh, and work ethic, right? So we're combining those things together. Um, our team, again, is at its infancy. So we're going to grow. We're going to change. We're going to uh, go through the maturation process. But as you all know, employers are changing right now. Technology is blossoming. You guys have expensive technology in your hands as we speak through your phones and through other devices that weren't available 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. So we are adjusting to that as well. And we're, we're, we're basically trying to catch up and, and try to be a part of that cutting edge piece so that we can really help the individuals that we're working with, our clients move into employment. So it takes a lot of hard work and dedication, but it also takes me relying on you guys as well. So thank you guys very much for allowing me to be up here and speak with you today. I miss you guys a lot, and I just appreciate you guys tremendously, and you guys have a wonderful and uh, glorious convention. Say hello to everybody, and I hope you guys are having a fantastic convention. 
Uh, Leslie and I had an opportunity to participate just a few years ago when the uh, convention was in Kansas City and uh, Denny Huff was president. To, so shout out to Denny and uh, Naomi and of course to Kay, your current president. And uh, it's always such a, a wonderful opportunity to get to speak to the delightful folks in Missouri. You all are one of our most uh, appreciated affiliates within the American Council of the Blind. Uh, Kay has asked me to just take a few moments and share with you kind of what's going on at the national level with the American Council of the Blind. Uh, so first, I just want to uh, you know take a moment to remind everybody of our upcoming national events. So the DC Leadership Conference will be held this year in Washington, DC. We're hoping very much to get that back to where it's both an in-person and a virtual convention. Uh, and it will be uh, held uh, the second weekend in March. I believe it's the 11th through the 15th of March. And one of the highlights of the DC Leadership Conference this year is we are actually going to do a rally uh, right there at the White House or the US Treasury Building to promote accessible currency. It was back in 2008 that the American Council of the Blind, working with Eric Levicki, had gone through all the effort to get a, a legal ruling requiring the, the Bureau of Printing and Engraving and the Department of Treasury to have their next bill be fully accessible for our blind and low vision community. That was in 2008, and here we are in 2022. The Bureau of Printing and Engraving has still not issued a new bill, and we still do not have any accessible currency. So at the national level, we feel it's about time for us all to raise our voices, walk on the White House and the Treasury, and say, folks, it's time for us to have accessible currency. And I think it's going to be a wonderful opportunity for people to come from all across the country and participate in a rally that will hopefully make a difference uh, for accessible currency within our, the United States. <clears throat> the United States is really the only industrialized country in the world that does not have accessible currency, and the time is now for us to move forward with that. So we're going to be rallying in D.C., uh, also, we'll have a legislative seminar and a president's meeting, so that'll be a wonderful opportunity in March. And then the national convention this coming year will start on June 30th through July 7th, and it's in Schaumburg, Illinois, not too far away from Missouri, just outside of Chicago, right there uh, within just a thrown sto st stone's throw away, less than two miles away is the um, is the second largest mall in the United States. It's a wonderful five-story mall with all kinds of shopping and restaurants and things all around it. It's a beautiful Renaissance Center hotel. And uh, again, it's going to be a hybrid event that will be held June 30th through July 7th. So, you know, your local chapters or your affiliate, plan on getting a van, a bus, a train, however you wish to and get to Schaumburg and enjoy the festivities next year. Be all kinds of wonderful tours, breakout, uh, breakout sessions, and just really amazing opportunities for us all to get together and share. So 
What has been going on with ACB over the last couple of years? Well, we've had to live through, you know, a major COVID-19 pandemic. And as a consequence of that, before 2022, our previous two conventions were held virtually. And I think you should be very proud of your national organization for how everybody came together and held two, I think, really outstanding conventions in 20 and 21, totally virtually, and then had a wonderful first ever hybrid convention this year. So we had about 60% of our people participate virtually and 40% in person. So there's plenty of activity, content, uh, wonderful programming for everyone. So for as uh, little as $35, you can register virtually and participate in our upcoming convention, or you can travel in person, enjoy the tours and all the festivities. So very proud of the efforts that uh, the ACB board put forward to hold really two amazing virtual conventions and one hybrid convention under very difficult circumstances. And we've actually had more people participate in our conventions the last three years than probably we have had in the last two decades. So it's really been an opportunity to reach out and include more folks, many folks who just haven't had the financial ability or the work-life balance to go to a convention in person now can, can participate virtually. In addition to that, ACB has worked very hard to establish an entire platform of community events. So each week, uh, there is about 100 community events that take place uh, through, <clears throat> through our community event calendar on Zoom, and many of them are broadcast on our ACB media network, which is now expanded to 10 channels. Channel one is the old mainstream channel, and then it goes through Channel two is a cafe, channel three is old time radio, and channel four, boy, I'm forgetting what channel four is, I apologize for doing this on the fly, but channel five is the community channel, channel six is the ACB media channel for uh, kind of uh, key uh, community events and, and different activities that are being held, and then there's a series of channels that are available to host state and special interest conventions and other special events outside and inside of our ACB network. So lots of opportunity to participate there, as well as ACB media has now expanded and made so many of the programs available on podcasts. So you can now gain this wonderful content through the podcast format. If you go to acbmedia.org, you can learn all about the podcast. And if you want to learn more about the community events and how to get involved there, just reach out to community at acb.org and Cindy Hollis and Colby Garrison will get back in touch with you and make sure you get the calendar for every day schedule. The community events are feature everything from different languages. You can learn Latin, Spanish, French. Uh, you know, there's support sessions for widows and widowers, for divorcees and divorcees, for people dealing with substance abuse. Uh, there's all kinds of social events, exercise classes. Uh, my wife, Leslie, teaches an exercise class five days a week, uh, Monday through Friday at four o'clock, except for Friday with um, happy hour cardio, which starts at 3.30. 
And I have to give a, a big shout out to Carol Mooney, one of her regulars from Missouri in the St. Louis area. She, Carol hardly ever misses a class and her and Leslie have become just fast friends through the community events and the exercise classes. So there's just so many opportunities out there for everybody to get involved. There's game night on Friday night and karaoke on Saturday and uh, just all kinds of wonderful content. Uh, We're also very proud of the efforts we've made in the scholarship and awards area. We have now partnered with the American Foundation for the Blind and ACB with support from AFB now offers 21 scholarships each year to aspiring students that total $92,000. So if anybody out there in the Missouri community is interested in a national scholarship, please go on to acb.org, look up the, the different scholarship opportunities, and I believe the uh, application will get started here at the uh, end of November. So again, we award 21 scholarships, totaling $92,000. We also offer five J.P. Morgan Chase fellows each year. These folks get their way paid to the convention, have all kinds of opportunity for mentoring, collaboration, and really developing as leaders inside of the American Council of the Blind. Or perhaps you would like to get started just being a leader inside the Missouri Council of the Blind, and there's opportunity there with the J.P. Morgan Chase Fellows. In addition, there's two first-timers, the DKM Fund First-Timers, where we select a winner each year from the east and west of the Mississippi River. And those folks get an opportunity to come to the convention and, again, go through all the leadership uh, processes and exercises. We've also this year launched a MAPS uh, mentoring program with guides and explorers. The pilot class will have 12 guides and 12 explorers. Again, an opportunity for people to learn and develop and grow inside of the American Council of Blind and the Missouri Council of Blind. We are also very active in the world of audio description. Uh, ACB has really become the foremost expert when it comes to audio description in the world. We have relationships with uh, Netflix, with Amazon, with Apple TV, Disney Plus, HBO Max, uh, you know, uh, Paramount Global, Comcast NBC, Amazon, just so many of these major organizations that provide streaming services. ACB talks to basically on almost a weekly basis. And as a consequence of that, ACB will be holding their second annual audio description awards gala. Uh, The gala will be held Tuesday, November 29th, starting at seven o'clock. It will be broadcast on the ACB YouTube channel, and it'll also be simulcast on Pluto TV which is a streaming service of Paramount Global. So it's wonderful to see the exposure that's happening out there. One of the exciting parts of the AD Awards Gala is we are going to have an audio description People's Choice Award. Hopefully everybody through their constant contact email got the survey with a chance to vote and pick one of the 10 finalists 
for the audio described show of the year, the People's Choice Award. We've had hundreds and hundreds of people already vote. And we encourage you to go out there before the 17th of October and vote for your favorite audio described show. Uh, We've got shows out there like Ted Lasso and Obi-Wan and Star Trek and Frank and Gracie on Netflix and Law and Order uh, SBU for uh, on NBC. So just so many opportunities to choose from. Please go and vote for your People's Choice Award and attend the AD Awards Gala. Again, uh, there's lots of opportunity to get involved. And if you have any questions about audio description, uh, there's a wonderful website that's available at adp.acb.org. And there they have the complete listing of over 8,000 movies, TV shows uh, that now offer audio description. So it's amazing. Remember those days when you just had a few choices of VHS videos that you got a year or two after they were released in the theaters? Well, now we have over 8,000 titles to choose from that are audio described. So we should all be proud of the progress we've made in audio description. We've also worked very hard in the national advocacy area. We have worked with the National Institutes of Health uh, to try and improve the accessibility of COVID-19 home test kits. Uh, We work uh, each month with a meeting with the National Institute of Biological Information and something. I got that a little messed up, but it's it's actually an institute inside the National Institutes of Health, NIH. And they are working with the the RADx team, which is um, put in place to find, uh, you know, COVID test kits for home use. We now have the Illum project, which works with a smart device that you can now access pretty much independently. And we are continuing to work with the RADx team to expand uh, that capability to both an intermediate and a long-range solution where uh, it will be fully accessible for the blind and low-vision community. We are doing this not only in partnership with the National Institute of Health, but also with the National Federation of the Blind and the American Foundation for the Blind. We are finding again and again when we collaborate together, we make such more of an impact at the national level. Uh, Senator Duxworth, Duckworth's office right there in neighboring Illinois has just issued the Software and Digital Accessibility Act, which will be uh, it's a new bill that got introduced in both the Senate and the House. And it's really the first bill to really push forward the need for truly accessible websites and applic- and smartphone applications. So please reach out to your congressional representatives, your senators, and encourage them to support the Software Accessibility Act. So again, a a really good opportunity for us to get out there and make a difference in the area of advocacy. Um, So these are just a few of our advocacy efforts. We also are continuing uh, to work to promote 
the blind and low vision community and the American Council of the Blind through our public awareness steering committee. Uh, we are working hard with press releases to get the information out. We now have ongoing relationships with the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, the Wall Street Journal, and many other applications, I mean, newspapers that are really, you know, understanding the American Council of Blind and the role that we can play as true the chief, as truly the chief influencer in the blind and low vision community. So that's just a few things that are going on out here at the American Council of Blind. I also want to give a big shout out and thank you and a hello from our executive director, Eric Bridges. We also have two new postings that are out there. If anybody's interested in becoming an employee at the American Council of the Blind, we are looking for an audio description coordinator, as well as a resource development fundraising associate. So again, two more full-time positions that are available right now within the American Council of the Blind. Look for those job postings to hit the streets in the next week or two. So we, again, welcome everybody's feedback, and we hope you all have a wonderful convention. And go Missouri Council of the Blind. Wish we could be there in person, but I know with Kay and Terry and everybody, you all are going to be in good hands. That concludes. So I, that was a last-minute thing, and I was really glad we could get him in there. He sounded rough toward the end, but he, oh, man. Um, okay, so we're going to finish up the day of the afternoon with a presentation by our MCB consultant, Eugene Taylor, and he's going to have questions and answers afterwards, but uh, take it away, Eugene. Am I on? I'm on. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's a privilege, really, quite frankly, to be here in front of you today and share what your board of directors and I have been working on for almost a year now. Uh, the initial effort was to assist your organization in determining whether we needed to either fill the positions of executive director and development director or both. In order to do that, I initially needed to determine what the organization's current status was and what those position descriptions required of the persons who would fill them. I immediately determined that there was, was a severe lack of clarity of what those positions would be. That required that I address with the leadership team the concerns that I had. To lead us to, that led us to much of what I will now share with you. The first thing I want you to understand is that the organization did not appear to be what I would consider a healthy business. In business, the organization's health is the most important, and that really means we need teamwork. And teamwork, quite frankly, is not a virtue, it's a choice, and it's a very strategic choice. A com key component of that is a cohesive leadership team. That starts at the top, in our case, the board of directors and the executive team. When I say board of directors, it's important to understand just what and who that team is. A leadership team is a small group of people who are collectively responsible for achieving a common objective for the organization. 
Interestingly enough, the operational definition of that team may or not be may or may not be defined by all in the organization the same way. In our case, you have as a part uh, as a part of your board of directors a sub team called the executive team, and that team, the executive team, has had some changes within it that have affected the entire organization. In spite of all of this, one thing has remained clear. The objectives of the executive team, the board of directors, and any of the other sub-teams directly or indirectly formed must come to the realization that leadership objectives are collective. They are everybody's objectives and that these objectives need to be clear for the benefit of the organization and its members. And that includes each and every one of you. As we began our work, I defined six key issues to be the top level concerns. They are inclusive, board dynamics, social, profitable business practices, membership, both growing, and retaining and legislative interest. Let me walk through what each of these areas as we discovered them. Inclusive, we need to determine if we are a non-denominational group and how we will be all inclusive. Sensitivity, awareness, and inclusion were areas that were at issue. And then the transparency, is our leadership transparent with the membership are they transparent enough that this seems to be a problem that our people are seeing for others, not themselves? What I mean by that is there were people that were giving me lots of information on how some people were not being able to understand what was going on in the organization, but they were never speaking for themselves. They were speaking for others. But the others I, quote, never heard from. Board dynamics, this is a big deal. Is the board meeting a reporting meeting or is it a working meeting? Those are two distinct and different kinds of meetings. What are the operational definitions of our committees? When I first started looking at the committees, I don't know that I have the right number, I probably don't, but I identified what I thought was 27 plus different committees and many of those committees I'm not sure what their assignment was. Some of them, their assignment was made clear to me based on just the title alone, but what they did could be, could be significantly different. Social. A large percent of our membership is engaged primarily for the social aspects, and we must be able to afford the services that promote these social aspects. That's a key issue. Profitable business practices. We're identified as a not-for-profit. However, we have many of our members that are deeply concerned that we are not running as a, quote, business and are not actively engaged in pursuing the funding that is available for this type of organization. This loss of funding opportunities is causing us to operate in the red, and there is concern that we cannot sustain this. We are reducing the amount of services that we can offer even as we speak. The board, what is our board format? Are we formatted as a business 
a social or something else, some sort of a hybrid structure. Which format will get us the best for our membership? And do we have interest silos? I mentioned interest silos because I was able to find pockets of concern where people were interested in one single aspect of what the organization was providing and they weren't thinking about any of the other aspects that the organization was supplying. Membership. When we looked at membership, we're not getting the younger members' membership their attention or their participation. Two key questions. How do they find this? How do they find us? And how do we attract them? Retaining membership. The shrinking of the organization is leading to frustration and burnout of the remaining membership and the leadership. The remaining individuals are passionate about what they are doing. At the same time, we've lost enough members that there is a trend towards areas of what would traditionally be described as expertise. That's another way of saying that I see a lot of our organization headed into their silos. This is the areas of passion that individuals are attempting to get others to benefit from. We need to answer the question, why are our members leaving beyond aging? Legislative interest. This is one of the key areas of interest for an overall percent of the membership it does, however, require an incredible amount of work and engagement. So those are the six keys. They were inclusive, board dynamics, social, profitable business practices, membership, both growing and retaining, and legislative interest. To address this, we began to investigate potential issues that might have been contributing to the idea that these were, quote, hidden issues. This, has, this led us to discover that I would, what I would call the primary concern, communication. There was clearly a breakdown in the communication model in place. This was causing us to not be able to benefit from a cohesive leadership team. In order to progress, we determined we would have to review and understand how we were using some basic principles. So I went to some basic business principles and I tried to align them and under, help the board to understand what we were talking about. So the five behavioral principles that I'm looking at are trust, conflict, conflict management, commitment, accountability, and ultimately results. So let me review those. So with trust, we actually have for an organization or a business practice to work, we have to have vulnerability trust, based trust. We've got to be able to have the, the discussions that are not necessarily comfortable. So the first thing that I did was I tried to look at the profile of three of the uh, top leaders in the organization. Some of you have probably, heard, when I say profile, their profiles, most of you have heard of probably Myers-Briggs where they give you a letter designation that tells you how you are. I use one by Gallup Corporation called Strengths 2.0. It's much more in-depth a tool that helps the individuals to understand what I refer to as their pop, their productivity, their organization, and their profitability. By understanding these leaders' pop can help us to help them to use their natural talent themes to help the organization to achieve success. Then we have another piece that was really apparent, 
and I, it's called the fundamental attribution error. I don't mean to talk complicated stuff, but let me explain this just for a moment. The tendency to attribute negative or frustrating behaviors to your colleagues, to, to their intentions and their personalities, yet at the same time, we attribute our own negative and frustrating behaviors to the environmental situation. I'm seeing a lot of that. The only way for teams to build real trust is for team members to come clean about who they are, as I like to say, warts and all. I've gotten to know your president and your vice president quite well, and I admire the level of effort that each of them is putting into filling their respective positions. Uh, we're working a lot of hours together, um, and it's been kind of fun. That was trust. So remember, and now I want to talk about conflict. And what we're really talking about in conflict is using con conflict to an advantage. When there's trust, conflict becomes nothing but the pursuit of truth and attempt to find the best possible answer. And that's what should be happening is finding the best possible answers. When leadership team members avoid discomfort among themselves, they only transfer in far greater quantities to larger groups of people throughout the organization that they are supposed to be serving. Two people who trust and care about one another and are engaged in something important should feel compelled to disagree. And there's a key word there. We should be at the level that our board of directors, especially our, our executive team, they should be compelled to disagree with each other periodically and sometimes passionately when they see things differently. Effective conflict requires effective trust. Now we move to commitment. We've got trust and conflict, using it to an advantage, now commitment. If people do not weigh in, they cannot buy in. When leadership teams wait for consensus before taking action, they usually end up with decisions that are made too late and are mildly disagreeable to everyone. This is a recipe for mediocrity and frustration. We need to be able to disagree and commit. Everyone leaves the room unambiguously committed to the decisions and this allows one of the leader's most important responsibilities, breaking ties. So we need the board and the executive team working together and depending on the president to break ties, not necessarily make all the decisions. So we've gotten through trust, conflict, and commitment. Now let's add accountability to this. So peer-to-peer -peer accountability is the primary and most effective source of accountability on a leadership team. The more comfortable a leader is holding people on a team accountable, the less likely she is to be asked to do so. What that means is if we're holding ourselves individually accountable and we're doing the job, we don't need somebody to come in and make us do the right thing. We've been doing it. It's natural to us. To hold someone accountable is to care about them enough to risk them blaming you for pointing out their deficiencies. There's nothing noble about withholding information that can help a team member improve. So we've got trust, 
We've got conflict, we've got commitment, we've got accountability, and now I want to talk about the results. No matter how good a leadership team feels about itself and how noble its mission might be, if the organization it leads rarely achieves its goals, then by definition, it is simply not a good team. I'm not saying this team doesn't reach decisions, they do, but we have a lot of areas where decisions are not being able to be made. So what is our primary measure of results? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, that was one of the areas we identified as not clearly defined. We need our low, or we need our leadership to focus on same priorities. That's talking about the silo issues. So teams that lead healthy organizations come to terms with the difficult but critical requirements that its members must put the needs of the higher team ahead of the needs of the sub-teams. So if we're spending too much time at the senior level worrying about individual stuff, or these individual projects, those five areas I named earlier, we're not getting to what we need for the greater good. This leads us to two, and this is it, the two effective communication styles. The first is not as effective as we need in this organization, but I think you'll recognize it. The first is advocacy. And the kind, that kind of, of communication, most people are accustomed to it, and it is all about stating your case and making your point. For example, I think we should change our advertising approach, or I recommend we cut cost. So that's somebody bringing and telling us a solution. The better communication style is inquiry. It's rarer and more important than advocacy. It happens when people ask questions to seek clarity about another person's statement of advocacy. And for example, why do you think the advertising approach is wrong? And which aspects of it are you referring to? Or what evidence do you have that our expenses are too high? And how certain are you of this? Those are examples of using the inquiry. Okay? As we begin to understand and implement the second, it is important to understand that we will have to be patient and supportive of each other as we improve our communication model in use. Because the existing model that we're using is clearly not working at the effective level that we need. I want to summarize what we've just done here. If we can address this part... The leadership is small enough, so we, do we have the right size leadership with the executive team? We do. What I'm concerned about is the side of the size of the board. The board is a large team, and I'm wondering how effective it can be when we have this many people where you're trying to create a working meeting instead of a reporting meeting. The work should have been done before the working meeting, before the reporting meeting took place. Our team meets this when we talk about the executive board. Oh, I've got, I'm, okay. And at the same time, there may be some questions about the board of directors. Members of the team trust one another and can be genuine, genuinely vulnerable to each other. It's imperative to be able to have disagreeing comments back and forth to each other. Um, I think this is ongoing, and I think it's clearly improving as I've been working with the organization. Team members regularly engage in productive, unfiltered conflict around important issues. Again, this is ongoing, and I have seen it improving as we've been working together. 
The team leads meetings with clear-cut, active, and specific agreements around decisions. I'm not so sure about this one, but I'm really hopeful because it's an open conversation that we're having at the high level. And we simply need more feedback on are the decisions that's being made being taken out and being made available to be understood. Um, Team members hold one another accountable to commitments and behaviors. Again, I think this is improving. And members of the leadership team are focused on team number one. That's the highest level. They put the collective priorities and needs of the larger organization ahead of their own sub-teams. Again, this is one that's improving, but we're not there. Then we absolutely need to create clarity on what the mission, the purpose, the objectives of the organization were. This was especially important because of the structure of the organization. We rely almost entirely on volunteers. We have a minimum professional paid staff. This That causes us to need to count on the professionals who are in our organization, who are included as volunteers within the organization. We not only need those skilled individuals, but we also need to be able to depend on them. Okay? All too often, leaders underestimate the impact of subtle misalignment at the top and how the damage that causes it, those small gaps among members of the executive team, what those small gaps look like when they get out of there and it makes it all the way down to the membership. Got a serious caution here. Alignment and clarity cannot be achieved in one fell swoop with a series of buzzwords or aspirational phrases crammed together. I feel sometimes that people are expecting me to deliver that to them. It requires a much more rigorous and really an unpretentious approach. We have to be able to talk about what we're up against and what we're dealing with. Uh, we found that we are definitely seeing misalignment on, on the management team. But as I shared, I think it's already improving greatly over the last several weeks. Here's a key concept, too, that's out there, and that's decisiveness. Remember this, there's a danger of seeking perfection at the expense of decisiveness. Sometimes we, we need a right answer that's in the right direction. Having a plan is better than having no plan. This leads us to six critical questions that we must actively engage in to get to where we're trying to go. And this is what I really want us to understand what we've got to try to achieve next. We should all be able to answer this question. Why do we exist? We need to know our reason for existing. Answering that is not the end of the process. Existence is our purpose and we must, and it must be true. It is about clarity and alignment. I remind you that the previously identified six areas of prime interest, those were, are we inclusive? Is the board dynamics effective for what we're trying to do? Are we meeting the social needs of the membership? Do we have profitable business practices in place? Is our membership both being retained and growing? And are we meeting all the needs that folks want out of the legislative interest. Number two is how do we behave? We need to recognize, understand, and embrace 
what our core values are so that we can help everyone understand what it is that we're trying to accomplish by being this organization. Let us keep in mind that if an organization is tolerant of anything, it will stand for nothing. And I can tell you when I first got here, I felt some of that in some of the meetings that I was invited to. Number three, what do we do? Okay, this is a simple statement of what we do, but it's not the same as our mission or our vision statement. Is it clearly defined for everyone? I don't believe it is. I believe that there's still some confusion out there, and I don't know where we're... we're, I, I certainly can't define that at this point. So we're working towards that. Don't, I hope this doesn't sound like a bad report because this is actually a good report. We learned a lot. So how will we succeed is number four. We will have to make a collection of intentional decisions to give ourselves the best chance to thrive and differentiate from other organizations. What do I mean by that? And the simplest example that I come up with is what makes this organization different from the Society for the Blind? They have a different mission. They have a different purpose for existing. What's our purpose? What's our mission? What's our vision? Number five, what is most important right now? That's a question that has to be answered regularly. In a, in a, this is a hybrid between a business and a volunteer and a charitable organization. But in a true make-money-everyday business, we have to answer this question daily. We're not all that different when it comes to that. For our organization, we must create a sense of alignment and focus, and we must have a minimum of top priorities within a given period of time. What this means is if we accomplish only one thing during the next X amount of months, what would it be with any credibility that we had a good period? So how would we be able to say that? We've got to be able to do that. And then finally, number six here, who must do what? When we walk out of these meetings, the executive meetings, the board meetings, any of your committee meetings, this may be the last critical question, but it has to be answered. When the meetings are over, who must do what? It must be known. I assure you that in my my participating in and paying attention to the meetings, this is not being addressed or understood completely. So again, I want to walk through a short checklist of the six things that I just went through. What results if we do that? Are the the members of the leadership team they know and agree on and are passionate about the reason for the the reason the organization exists? The leadership has clarified and embraced a small, specific set of behavioral values. How do we treat each other at meetings? How do we show that respect? How are we comfortable? How are we having fun? Leaders are clear and aligned around a strategy that helps them define success and differentiate itself from other organizations. The leadership has a clear current goal around which they rally. They feel a collective sense of ownership for that goal. The members of the leadership team understand one another's roles and responsibilities. They are comfortable asking questions about one another's work. And finally, the elements of the organization's 
clarity are concisely summarized and are regularly referenced and reviewed by the leadership team. In conclusion, are we there yet? By yet, I mean, are we, are we yet being the successful organization that we wish to be? Quite frankly, that is a very dynamic question that requires a constant revisit so that we can see it at any time where we are. We've got to learn to get comfortable to ask these tough questions of ourselves so that we can perform the way we want to do. I personally, having worked with a lot of you individually, some of you I know from other organizations, and having worked with the executive team and a good bit of the board, I believe we're in a much better place than we were when we first started this process. I think we're in a place where we're a little bit more uncomfortable because we've identified some issues that are really important to us, but I can cl clearly see the opportunity to solve these issues and get us going in the right direction, and we already are making steps that way. I believe we still have a ways to go, and I am, quite frankly, I'm pretty excited because I believe we have a place in place a lot of the team members and tools that will allow us to get the success that not only we desire, but we deserve. At this time, I'll be glad to answer any questions, and I would ask the executive board if they've got a, they can help me answer questions if need be. This sounds a lot like a regular board meeting where once I speak, nobody wants to talk. You know, um, I, I will say that any questions you have, I know there's been a lot of people that have said, why is Eugene here? We've spent a lot of money. And so if you've got those questions, don't, you know, whatever kind of questions you have, whether you think they're good, they're bad, they're whatever, you need to, it, it, we'd like to hear them. And we want your your thoughts and your your questions. So... It's not like anybody could say, oh boy, he asked what? You know, ask your question. Go ahead. I mean, because this is, you're open for anything at this point. I'm from central Missouri. I live in a small town, Fulton, which has a, a deaf campus with cafeteria, dormitory, um, and swimming pool, track, everything. But it's underused. I have been approached by my local people saying, you're blind, why don't you get the blind school to connect to the deaf school in Fulton and use what we have already built? The, question, the wall I have hit, in Fulton we do not have any kind of bus system. There is no public transportation, but the campuses you know, well, it's underused. They don't know what to do with it. The deaf children have been mainlined into public school. And I think, in my mind, I wonder, is there any interest in adding a blind school that would actually take young children and middle-aged adults making it a vocational school for the blind? I can address part of that from the external looking into your organization. That's a specific activity that I have not seen that is addressed by what the mission of this is. So if that's part of this organization's mission, 
I know that I have heard an incredible amount of concern about transportation and the lack of availability readily available for everywhere. So my question would be, as we progress further into this, getting us, us to understand what the actual mission for our organization is, is that one of the key things that we're, we're after? So other organizations may be doing something, but are we going to identify ourselves as the group that is going to try to do what they can to grow the, the problem of transportation for the low vision and blind people in the state of Missouri? But I do not believe that that currently is part of our mission. That doesn't mean it can't be. I'm not sure that I can tell you how we would solve that, but I can tell you that I do not believe it is part of this organization's mission at this time. Let me give you some clarity. Originally, I was hired to answer a very, what sounded like a simple question, and that was, do we need to hire an executive director? Do we need to hire a developmental director? Or do we need to hire both? And what we identified when I first started working with the organization is that in the past, you have had those roles filled, and they did not fill them effectively. My concern was, what was in place that would allow you to fill those roles effectively this time so that you were getting your, quote, money's worth from those positions? And what I was able to determine, and everything that I just shared with you, is a lot of why those positions in the past were not effectively accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish. So my immediate recommendation was you folks need to get in place procedures and processes that define exactly what the executive director and the development director are responsible to achieve to understand what this organization is all about. Otherwise, you will be spending money very high money for those type of positions for people who are not going to be able to be effective. Not because they're doing a bad job, but it may not be defined adequately enough for them to do a good job. So that's why some of what I've talked about, and I certainly hope I didn't talk over everybody's head, and that's why I'm more than willing to answer any questions. I want you to understand that my personal objective is to, quite honestly, work myself out of a job. I want to coach you folks on how do you get these positions defined adequately so that you can fill them with people who can do what you need the organization to do. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I do want to tell you, I think it's an awesome organization. Um, I'm looking forward. If, if you decide I'm going to work some more with you, I hope, hope we do. Uh, we've got an opportunity here to really turn this organization in the direction that you've all wanted it to be. And I know that if we don't get some of this addressed, the organization, and that's the concern that came out. I think that's why I got here. I spent some time speaking with your, your accountant and his concern. That's one of the things that we went through. We went through all the accounting. His concern is that if we keep doing what we're doing here, we're not going to survive much longer. How much longer is that? I don't know, 10 years, 12 years, something like that. He's, he's concerned because of the way the financing is going. So we've got to figure out how we're going to change that dynamic so that we get what we need to keep the organization going. So it's changing. So what's happening here, and when I suggested that your executive team, we've had some major changes on it that's impact, impacted the entire organization, we've got an executive team that now 
is not not appears that is actually wanting to work with me. And when I say they're wanting to work with me, I talk to them every single day. And when I say every single day, sometimes I'm including Saturdays and Sundays because I have a process, a, a policy that if you're going to have me in your employ, I want to be there when you're thinking about what it is that we're doing and I want to be able to address what you're after and what you're trying to accomplish. So what happens next quarter? If we can take the last quarter and we can go forward, we're going to look at it. So I've outlined what our next steps are. We've got to talk about the, the inclusivity, the board dynamics, the social aspects. I mean, there's a lot of folks. When I say social aspects, I want you to understand something. There's a large group of people, and some of you may be in here I do not know, and I don't care. I'm, I'm not choosing sides. But they don't want to do the business aspects of this organization. They just want to have some fun. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? But this organization is based on a huge volunteer work base. And there are people here who have a lot of education that want to make business side of this thing work. And that's where I said we need to identify them, recognize them, and be able to depend on them because that's as much fun for them as doing some of the social aspects is for the people that want the other thing. And in the concern that we hear with that, so that's the social, the business, and then we've got to talk about membership. How are we irritating each other? And some of the irritation we have is as simple as when there's less people, the work doesn't get less. It's the same amount of work, so then people are getting overworked. And I can't tell you, if you go to a board meeting, you can hear the people that are overworked. We need people stepping up. And what's changing is we're seeing people now that are asking to participate. So I think the trust that we've built, that we're doing that, and then we've got membership re retaining. And then that's where I talked about the, the, uh, the trust and then conflict. Conflict is interesting. Conflict is useful. If we've got four people that are working together and they always agree with each other, we are going to accomplish nothing. We're absolutely going to accomplish nothing. There should be multiple ideas. And what we need is those people to discuss those ideas and get to that higher mission statement that I was talking about. So what is our objective? Are we going to become the transportation problem solver for the low vision and visually impaired? I, I don't know. And I'm not suggesting that's what you do. That's up to you folks to decide. But we got to know. So if I ask you, it'd be an interesting question for me to ask you folks, what is the sole, what is the high level purpose of this organization? Why does it exist? Do you feel like you can tell me why that is? I don't think you can because I don't think we've ever gotten to our, a point to where we could do that. This organization, I'm not sure how you got your initial money. I haven't gone back that far because it doesn't really matter to me. I do know that your finances changed when you lost your stores. You used to have some thrift stores. So that was, that was a major income. But I do know that we have not replaced that income. And in that, so th these are things that we got to worry about. But if we're going to hire a developmental person, they're going to be going out looking for grants. And that's why I talk about the funding that's available to us. We've got to be very succinct and clear about what our purpose and our mission is. Otherwise, we're not going to get those people that are granting money to give it to us. They're going to give it to somebody because there's people out there doing that. So these are all part of what I identified as the problems that we're looking for. 
But think about what I just said. If you folks, I hope you do this the rest of your convention, the rest of your weekend, sit around and say, why do we exist? What is our ultimate high-level goal? What is our purpose? It's an interesting, it sounds simple. As I like to say, keeping it simple is never, ever simple. It's always complicated. But we've got, we've got to get that. And that's what we're, I'm looking at. I started with the top. I hope it filters down. I've told at every board meeting, I've said to anybody, my phone number is 314-660-1337. Call me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I can care less. Talk to me about what you want to talk about, and I will talk to you about it because I'm anxious to help this organization succeed. Eugene, do you have anything more to say? Uh, the only thing I, I conclude, I, I hate that it sounds like we've got problems, but the good news is that we are headed in the right direction. We've just got some more to go, and we've got to figure out how we're going to do that. Um, I, I'm excited for the organization. I, I think it's an organization. I, I, I share Chip's concern, and I, I share his passion. This is an organization that we, we can't afford to lose. We just can't afford to lose this organization. So thank you for this opportunity, and thank you for letting me have as much time as I did here at the podium because I know how valuable time is. Let's have some more door prizes. Brandy, can you help us out with that? Yes, ma'am. All right. All righty. Let's start with $25 cash from St. Louis Northern Lights Council. Michael Hartman. Is he in the room? Is Michael Hartman in the room? Yes, no? How about Bob Collier? $20 from Joplin Service Club of the Blind. Marlene Morgan. She's, huh? She's not here? How about Karen Hawkins? We got $20 from River City Workers of the Blind. Chip Haley. The next one's mine, right, Chip? We got $25 from Agape. Teresa Chambers. $25 from Allied Workers for the Blind. Stephanie Bailey. We have a $25 Visa card from Queen City Council of the Blind. Thomas Treffinger. I bet you guys thought I was going to say Thomas Jones, all right? <laughs> Is Thomas Treffinger in here? Okay. How about April Gray? Vicki Sparks. We have a $25 Walmart gift card from UWB to Alicia Smith. We 
We got $25 real, from Tiger really Council feel. of the Blind. She's not here. Mark Harris. How about Joe Morgan? We got $25 cash from Blind of Central Missouri. Matthew Bailey. We got another $25 Visa card from Delta Area of the Blind. Kim Vaughn. We've got another $20 from Joplin Service Club. Raymond Bishop. We got another $20 from River City Workers of the Blind. Jeannie Jaco. $25 cash from St. Louis Northern Light Council. Lawana Copeland. We got another $25 Walmart gift card from UWB. Kim Reese. We got a $25 Target gift card from St. Charles Council of the Blind. You don't need to stand up, Melvin. I haven't pulled it yet. <laughs> C.J. Campbell. He's in. He's not in the room. I'm digging and rooting. She's not registered yet. I know that one. Brian Weekamp. We've got a $25 Walmart gift card from Springfield Service Club. Linda Garkin. We got $20 from Joplin Service Club as a blind. Willanika Smith. See, we have another $25 cash from Allied Workers for the Blind. Alicia Brown. Hazel Fields. I don't see her in here either. Um, probably this is probably the last one. Reginald Patton. No Reggie. 
How about Robert Jaco? All right, that's the last one, or we won't have none tomorrow. And I still got a bunch for tomorrow.